Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Guys, school's out for summer, as Ben mentioned. School's <laughs> out for weekend. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Vikings wrapped off-season workouts today on Thursday of this week. Uh, Mike Zimmer waved off the final minicamp practice. It's Club Med. They don't need to do it. Everything is done. Nothing to see here. We're uh, going 17-0, right? Well, and they cut the first two practices short, too. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you get for the team that has everything? Clearly not more practice. <laughs> Talk about practice, not a game. That's true. And, and My favorite our, line of that whole thing is still, how the hell am I supposed to make my teammates better about practicing? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We got a lot to talk about. Uh, the Vikings, a huge busy week for them. They returned to Neil Hunter, obviously, to the building with a new contract on Monday. His physical, according to Mike Zimmer, looked fantastic. That's maybe even bigger news with him eight months off of neck surgery. Um, Sheldon Richardson signs. Um, the vaccine stories, we'll, we'll get to a little bit of that in terms of what Mike Zimmer is trying to do, much like 31 other teams in the NFL are trying to do on that front. And then we will take some of your Vikings questions. But guys, we need to start with the Daniil Hunter story, because last time we spoke, we were wondering, is he going to show up? It seems like there's quite the, the gap to be bridged in terms of what he was thought to have wanted contractually. And then what actually happens is not a whole lot. They get him back in the building by just moving up some money from this year, basically saying, all right, instead of you having to play for it, we'll just give you $5.6 million right now. Uh, And then, oh, by the way, we will add in a gigantic roster bonus next to March that might trigger new negotiations on this contract. And maybe that's when he will get paid. Uh, Ben, starting with you, what was your reaction when this came down in terms of what you were expecting on this? And then how does that set up Daniil Hunter and the Vikings for 2021? Well, I mean, they needed him back. And he at least got them to effectively, I think, commit to re-examining this after this year. It gave them a, a nice sort of door number three so that they could still say, we aren't going to back down on a principle of we don't redo deals when there's this much time left. Because that's been the big issue for them is – they didn't want to have to say, okay, we're setting this precedent now that with three years left on a deal, we'll reopen it if we decide or if somebody gets mad about it. So it allows them to say that. For Daniil Hunter, more specifically for Daniil Hunter's agents, I'm not sure how much this should be one where you say, well, we got him to blink because remember last fall, the, the day that the Vikings traded Yannick Ngakwe, Hunter – Hunter's camp basically put it out that he's having surgery. His season is over and he won't play for this team again. If he's not the highest paid pass rusher in the league. And that, that the number that I've heard talked about, and I think others have to is Joey Bosa, $27 million a year. He didn't get that. They basically said, come back and earn it. And we'll talk about it later, but here's a, here's an advance of some money we're already going to make. So he got no new money. He, Basically, I mean, I, I suppose if they let him play on the roster bonus, that's going to be new money. I haven't seen the full breakdown of it yet beyond what the agents leak out to the national media. But it's uh, it's not one that 
if I'm the agent or those in said national media that tend to like to trumpet these things, um, I don't know that it's one I'd be sitting there saying, boy, this guy really played him to get everything he wanted. It, I mean, they needed him back. It, it tides everything over for now, but uh, I don't know that you'd sit there and say that his agent was a big winner on this one. Yeah, and Mike, and we, we'd mentioned right off the top of the podcast that what do you get the team that already has everything? Well, having their star edge rusher back is about as good. That was, that was like the top of the checklist, right, in terms of what this team needed to resolve this offseason. And as Ben had said, we don't know if this went to happened anyway. Had Daniel just showed up to all the OTAs and just played nice? Um, but he waits until that contract gets redone before he shows up. Uh, how do you think this sets up the Vikings just in terms of returning Daniel back seemingly healthy? Yeah, I mean, it sets up well for them. I mean, and it's, you know, the, the thing we've, we've talked about is his only leverage was how much they need him this year. Like that you can see exactly how they've loaded up for 2021, you know, whether it's a job security thing, whether it's understanding why 2020 went poorly. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that lead you to say they've, they've really loaded up the defense in particular, not the offensive line, but the defense in particular um, for 2021. So Daniel Hunter is a huge piece of that. And he knew that. So my, my wonder in all this is when they, when they kind of floated that initial Joey Bosa number, if, if that was, if, if even they knew that that was not even close to realistic and that was just kind of a, a you know, when you set a negotiation and you throw something so far out there that whatever you can get on the other side of that is a, uh, is a little bit of a win. And maybe it makes you look you know, maybe it makes you look bad because you've proclaimed that, but you know, the, at the end of the day, they did get, they did get something and they set up the possibility of a big payday next year. So, you know, even if it wasn't what they, even if it wasn't what they reportedly wanted, it is at least something for 2022, I think more than 2021. Yeah. And I think it's important to note with these things that there are some guys who truly let their agents handle things that kind of just say, all right, I'm going to trust you do the business side of things. And from what I've heard, Daniil's one of those guys where he's yes. not hes not necessarily in the agent's ear saying, like, I want this X, Y, and Z. So we don't even know that that floated demand to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. We don't even know that if he wanted to be the highest paid defender. We didn't know that that was coming from Daniil. That could have been coming from a jaded representative who had signed a bad deal and has clanted outperformed and was just saying, all right, now this is what we're going to want. And going off next surgery, it was just an interesting timing and all that. And I, from what I've heard, I don't think Daniil ever made the demand behind the scenes of, I need to be the highest paid defender. That was yeah. just the report that came out and it created, and these are things you hear after he shows up. And then you start asking questions about how did this happen? And then you start hearing, okay, well, maybe he wasn't the one putting those demands out there. And if this, this could have been his, yeah, this could have been his representatives doing that or somebody in his camp doing that on their own. And I think that's important to note in how somebody like Daniil shows up all smiles upon not really getting a whole lot in terms of 2021 compensation. This guy's going to have to come back and prove, as Ben said, that he's healthy this year before he sees any new money moving forward. And he's playing on the same deal for the fourth, fourth of six years of that contract that he signed back in 2018 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Back in that flurry of let's get all these guys signed before they hit free agency. Now, I, I had heard a little bit that I, I think the deal he signed, he felt like was he was probably a little wide eyed when he did it. And he realized over time that I, I could have played my leverage a little bit better, but 
yes, I completely agree with you that the the distinction of I need to be the highest paid. I, I'm not sure how many times players care that much about that. Agents care because it helps their resume of saying, I got this guy X and he is the X highest paid player in the league. Therefore you rookie client, possible rookie draft pick should sign with me. I mean, this is, you know, part of the pitch that they make to their future clients. So that stuff matters, I think, to agents quite a bit. I don't know how much it matters to players all the time. And certainly Daniel Hunter has been a guy. And this, is, I think, has left the Vikings in some of this scratching their heads a little bit because he has not been a guy that ever does anything other than kind of what the team wants him to do. You know, basically it's, hey, we need to do this. Okay, yeah, you got it. Um so this is a little bit out of character. Even the skipping OTAs part of things is, is a little bit out of character for him. So I would not be surprised at all if it was, hey, yeah, I'd like to be getting a little more money. And his agent says, okay, this is how we need to go about it. Sure. Okay, I'll play that out. I think there's certainly some of that, at least from a tactical perspective, that goes into it there. Yeah, and people have – players have family members around them, friends, whatever. There are a bunch of people that could be influencing these – uh, demands or whatever. And, and it's, it's just interesting to see how it played out because as you said, Ben, Daniel's never been the kind of guy that's rocked the boat in any way, shape or form. And him coming back to such a deal kind of proves that, that he just said, no, I'm going to show up. This is good enough. Let's, let's get back to work. And we should talk about Daniel's comments. He spoke for the first time, um, since the neck injury and, uh, he didn't say a whole lot. He declined to say how the injury initially happened. He declined to get into the contract stuff or what he's looking forward uh, maybe next year in terms of potential renegotiations or why he accepted what he accepted. But I thought the most interesting thing that he did say was talking about some of just the mental health stuff in terms of being pretty down when you're seeing the defense deteriorate piece by piece, starting with you and not being able to do anything, him having his family come stay with him after the neck surgery to, as he said, you know, kind of prevent me from doing things I shouldn't be doing coming off neck surgery as a 26 year old guy. Um, I don't know if anything stood out to you. I don't know, Mike, if you heard his comments or Ben, we were on the call with him, but um, I guess what stood out to you about what he had to say about coming back. Cause I guess with the OTA thing, he said his, his reasoning for that was, I just need to make sure I was fully healthy. And that kind of tracks because when he showed up for minicamp, he didn't do anything. He, he wasn't going to just jump back into practice. He, he basically said, I'm going to, I'm hundred percent healthy, but I'm going to take my time getting back into football shape here. And, you know, rightfully so when you're coming off a neck injury, um, Ben, what did you, or Mike, what did you think of, of all that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, it's a good point. And I'm sure a lot of these guys, like tw- the thing we can't forget is how strange 2020 was for a lot of these guys. And whether you were, opting in whether you were playing whether you were hurt like 2020 was just not normal and i'm sure watching that and not being able to contribute a but also being in this weird space of covid and the season's not normal anyway um I, i'm sure there was there was just a, there's probably some some stuff that some players just haven't even unpacked yet where it's just like ah, that was just a, a year that we would love to forget but we're still kind of dealing with some residual stuff from that and i guess the other point i would make is if he was you know for the mental health aspect of things, if he was, you know, getting down watching last year's team, just thinking about the potential for this year's defense and just thinking about what wasn't on that team that is now on this, this year's team. And you, you brought up the Sheldon Richardson signing, um, you know, he's going to have a role. You talk about Dalvin Tomlinson, you know, Pierce being back off the opt-in Hunter 
healthy. Eric Kendricks, presumably healthy. Anthony Barr, like the, the front seven that they can put out there should be pretty good. And relative to last year, it's going to look like the 85 Bears. <laughs> ben, 17 and 0. Ben. What did you say? Statement tournament. We got one for you. <laughs> Relative to last year's defense is what I'm saying. Just because how bad that defense was. Like you add so many good pieces to that, you're gonna you're gonna look a lot better than you did last year's so offense. Well, Ben, what did you think of of Daniel and, and just his first public comments? Well, he said a couple interesting things that uh, the the comment about uh, thankful for kids staying in school was sort of interesting. I mean, he said something about. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for all these kids that are in school and it's because it's the reason I'm here now. And, and I think Dave Campbell from the AP followed up with him and like, what did you mean by that? And he said, basically kids getting an education is why sports medicine happens. And that's the reason I'm able to get back out there. So it, that made me wonder a little bit, you know, was it, and I, I tried to ask him that a little bit in terms of how dire was it? Because that makes it sound like it was, if not for this surgery, maybe my career would have been over. And I suppose with a hernia, yes, that probably is the case. But it, I thought it was interesting when he said that. It, he didn't want to get much into any of the things that we wanted to know in terms of how the injury happened, how bad it was. I, I have my theories as to why that is, but... Um, the fact that he said that kind of made me wonder how much it was a touch and go situation there. It was, and he talked about, we kind of did everything we could to try to get me healthy. And, you know, we've heard you know, Mike Zimmer say that initially they thought he just slept on it wrong. Um, I don't know if we should believe that completely. Um, but I, I do think it took them quite a while to get a, a complete handle on what happened and, I think the process of diagnosing it was one that had some, some switchbacks as I would, as I've heard, but um, yeah, it would, that was interesting. I thought, and maybe at some point he'll elaborate a little bit more on that, but it didn't seem like it was son of this open and shut case as much as maybe it would have been presented in some ways. Yeah. He was, he was asked then too. I don't know if that was you, Ben or somebody else, but somebody had asked about just, were there any doubts, you know, like that you would make it back from this. And he kind of pivoted yeah, right away. I asked him kind of about that, about how dire was it? Yeah. And, and I thought he just pivoted kind of right away and just said, he's happy to be back and all this stuff. And didn't, didn't really want to go down that road too much. Um, and yeah, it's, I think when you see, we, we talked about this before, when you've got a guy who is Adonis like and is invincible and then all of a sudden is not, it's not too much of a shock that you've got maybe some representatives of his saying, all right, now you need to pay him because, you know, maybe he's feeling like I need to maximize my earning potential as much as possible right now, because I realize it could be taken away in any snap in, in what was a non-contact padded practice. This guy suffered a herniated disc in his neck. And that, that to me, is something that would reflect on anybody mentally weigh on you mentally and thinking that, all right, what am I doing playing on this contract that makes me the X like 17th highest paid defensive end. So I think it all kind of works together in that sense. Well, let's, Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say just to, to close the loop on my thought about 2020, I was just, I, I pulled up the, uh, the starting 11 from that saints game that Mike Zimmer called the most, the nightmare or the, the one where he realized basically that he, I've, I've made a horrible mistake, you know, Joe Bluth 
uh, from uh, from Arrested Development, <laughs> saying uh, there might be one starter from that game that is a starter in in Week One this year. That may be Harrison Smith. Yep. This is the this is the starting eleven from that game. Afadi Adenabo, and maybe he's uh, DJ Wanham, Jaleel Johnson, Stamar, Shamar Stefan, Eric Wilson, Blake Lynch, Jeff Gladney, Chris Jones, Cameron Dantzler, Harrison Smith, and Anthony Harris. Some of those guys are going to be on the roster. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I'm like, if, if that was like the the low point of his career, you got to imagine that he looks back at that game and says, "I want to, I want as few of those guys on the field as possible in 2021." And well, you said it before about leverage. I mean, the, the leverage that Daniel Hunter had is turning on that tape and, hey, are you, do you want this to happen again? And now the Vikings are going to be bringing off the bench, a defensive tackle that would have been better than any of their defensive tackles last year in the starting lineup in Sheldon Richardson. They get him to take a one-year $3.6 million deal. Sheldon Richardson leaves Cleveland after saying, I didn't get the offer I wanted. Cleveland wanted him back. They wanted to re-sign him after making him a cap casualty so they could sign Jadavian Clowney. And the Vikings end up with this cast off, you know, kind of, that really should be in a starting lineup somewhere. Instead, he's going to be coming off the Vikings bench. Mike, what did you think about that signing? And how much did that kind of catch you off guard in terms of they've got two starters at defensive tackle and now they've got Sheldon Richardson? Yeah, I mean, Ben and I talked about that earlier in the week, even too. Just um, it, it doesn't, it didn't, wasn't one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, obviously they're going to sign Sheldon Richardson or someone like that. I mean, we talked about the need for some of that interior pass rush, so like that doesn't, you know, that doesn't surprise you that they would go get someone like that. Someone of that caliber maybe is a little bit surprising. Someone that was, you know, that gets three million dollars guaranteed, but it is someone they know, so that's you know the familiar that Mike Zimmer likes and. You can imagine just based on how big Tomlinson and Pierce are that they're going to need, you know, they're going to need some, some, some rest. Like, you know, how many defensive snaps are there in a typical game? Like 60 to 70. Is that kind of standard? Like if each guy plays like 45 to 50, would that be, would that be out of line? That kind of feels like a pretty good rotation based on down and distance sometimes. So it, 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 it makes sense. Just because a guy doesn't start doesn't mean he doesn't have a pretty big role uh, potentially on this team. So it makes more sense after it happens, I guess, than it did before it happened. Yeah, Ben, Ben, Mike Zimmer did not get Geno Atkins by name, but he got the best defensive tackle he's had since Geno Atkins in terms of pass rushing. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, and it's interesting you bring up Geno Atkins because that's the last time that Mike Zimmer had what I – tend to think is what he's wanted unless the the way he played it with the Bengals is what he had to do but those teams had a lot of defensive linemen who played five to six hundred snaps a year it was not this let's have the same four out there logging 900 snaps a thousand snaps some in some of these years with guys like Everson Griffin Daniel Hunter Brian Robinson and now you have a 17th game so it does make sense in the set in the aspect that you are in nickel more often. You don't have guys on that defensive line, at least in terms of the tackles that are going to provide a ton of interior pass rush. I know I understand Dalvin Tomlinson will give you some of that, but you probably aren't going to have him on the field in third and eight a lot because it's not his skill set necessarily. So if you can get a guy on the field that gives you a little bit more of that interior pass rush that they've wanted, that they've typically tried to get with a third defensive end, that quite often they've not had otherwise, if you get some of that from him, I think it's useful. Um, 
especially when you don't know beyond Daniil Hunter who's going to give that to you. I mean, maybe it's DJ Wan, and maybe it's Stephen Weatherly, you know, maybe it's Patrick Jones, who they apparently are very high on, at least in terms of what they've seen so far. But you don't have a lot of proven commodities on the roster other than Daniil Hunter to give you that pass rush. And I think if they're able to get, you know, kind of like Mike talks about, there, there's a reasonable, you know, schematic here, I think, that you get 35 to 40 snaps a game out of each of those three, given game just game situations are going to lead you toward that. And I think if it goes that way, it probably makes some sense. Yeah, and the Vikings, too, have um, behind – yeah, before with Sheldon Richardson, it, it was um, Armin Watts, Jalen Holmes. Those were the guys they were bringing off the bench. And so that is – it plugs such a big hole in terms of what do you do on third down? Do you just move in DJ Wanham inside? Do you just move in Stephen Weatherly? Now you've got that answer, at least in Sheldon Richardson. And a guy who you know on a one-year deal is playing for his next deal. And that's always the best spot to get anybody in in terms of a contract year, no matter what line of business you're in. You're no, definitely going to defense playing on a one-year deal. Exactly, exactly. And we got a good question too in our mailbag about that, in just terms of how how is this really set up for long-term success when the entire team can get blown up next year too? But it makes for an interesting 2021 in terms of what this defense is capable of and what they can do. Um, before we get to those questions, though, we should talk a little bit about what was really the topic of the week, and and Mike Zimmer made it so. We got we got uh, Mike Zimmer talking very emphatically about how he implores these players. And this is something that's been happening behind the scenes for weeks. We just happened to start asking about it this week. Mike Zimmer saying, look, unvaccinated players for COVID-19 are going to have a lot harder time this season. And Mike Zimmer made it. He said, look, it's about the safety part of it, but really he made it about the football operations part of it and saying that this is really going to be about just easing our process of getting together in meeting rooms, practices, having you all available for every single game that you can physically play. Because last year we saw it with Adam Thielen, Riley Reef. We saw it. I think even CJ Ham missed a game for being a, a close contact. Yep. Guys missed games because people they knew and were close to were infected with COVID-19. And it didn't mean that they had it. It just mean that the Absolutely. team in the in the NFL, that's right, Adam did have it. So, but it just means that the NFL protocols remain so strict in that if you are a close contact, they want to keep that so far away from their building that you got to quarantine and you might miss a game just because you're close to an infected person. Now the NFL came out with revised protocols for at least this summer, and they probably are going to carry into the season that say, if you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter if you come in close contact with somebody who's sick because you are vaccinated. We're going to allow you in the building. We are going to allow you to play. That is inherently a competitive advantage that the NFL has set up. Mike Zimmer knows this, and that's why they're bringing in Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief, med chief medical officer, to talk about it. They're bringing in independent medical experts. I've heard they brought in NFLPA officials, former players. They're doing anything they can to try to relate to these players and say, look, here's all these voices of telling you why you should just get vaccinated. And there are so many different reasons why anybody would be hesitant about this. Uh, Vikings players whom I asked, if they were vaccinated, they didn't really give any of those reasons. They just said it's a personal choice. Um, but they included Shelton Richardson, Adam Thielen, Harrison Smith, and it's still June 17th. So there are, there's three months almost for these guys to do it. And I, I don't know how, Ben, I don't know what you're thinking about this, but from what I've heard from the team is that there's a lot of thinking of, 
once we get into training camp and guys realize really how different it is for unvaccinated guys in terms of being able to meet, being in the weight room, all these things, they think that guys are just going to be more open to getting it just so they can go to work normally and just kind of be a part of the unvaccinated or excuse me, the vaccinated group who can take their masks off, can travel normally. Um, can go home on the bye week. Yeah. can go home and not test daily because now unvaccinated, vaccinated, excuse me. I keep mixing that up. Vaccinated players only have to test once every two weeks compared to daily for unvaccinated players. So just all the hoops you have to jump through. If you're unvaccinated, there are people within the Vikings who are thinking it's just a matter of time. We're going to get, we're going to reach a threshold of 70, 80% vaccinated. And then the NFL and the PA are discussing, okay, at what point then when you cross that threshold, can the entire team relax these protocols? And they're, the Vikings are thinking at some point, we're just going to reach that because guys are going to realize we just want it to be a little easier at work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we've seen this and we talk about sports being a microcosm of society quite a bit. And we've seen this play out in society in general, this idea of, am I vaccinated? Am I not? Do I trust the science behind the vaccine or do I trust um, some other thought process that is leading me to think this is not a good idea? And I, you know, we didn't get a great answer from any of the players who said they weren't vaccinated about why. I mean, they talked about we're still gathering information and, and uh, you know, it's uh, Kirk Cousins, I think, basically said, I'm not going to discuss it. It's a personal choice. You know, everybody else kind of said we're, we're still kind of trying to gather information about whether we're going to get it. But. Yeah, I mean, I for as many players as we heard talk about how <laughs> frustrating it was to have to go through all of those hoops last year, the NFL is very clearly trying to make it the case if you can either do that again or you can get the vaccine. Now, the idea of shove something in your body because my coach wants me to, I, I mean, I, I can see where somebody would say, well, wait a minute now. Um, if I'm doing it just for that reason – it's probably smart for me to stop and think about it. I don't think there's a lot of science that would tell you it's a bad idea to get this thing. In fact, I think the numbers would tell you that the vaccines are working in terms of the infection rates going down and and the transmission rates going down the way they have is uh, you would think the, the most logical explanation for that is that people have been vaccinated. The interesting thing here is going to be, it's, it's a five or six week process to be considered fully vaccinated, especially if you get the two shot series with either Pfizer or Moderna, you have to have both shots and then another two weeks after that. So right now, if you want to be fully vaccinated by training camp, you probably have to go start your shots this week. And once you start training camp to be fully vaccinated by the start of the season, you pretty much have to start your shots at that point. So and the Johnson and Johnson shot is is less time to be fully vaccinated. That's a one dose thing. But if you're going to go with either of the two shot options, it's a five or six week process. I think for me, it was, well, I, I, mine were four weeks apart and then it's another two weeks. So, yeah, I mean, it, you, the time frame to get fully vaccinated by the start of the season, you know, once training camp rolls around, you it's pretty much go time right away. So you can see why the NFL is starting to say, let's get this done now and kind of making the push for that right now. Yeah. And really what the Vikings care about and they want, every team wants as many players on the practice field as possible, but it's September 12th. It's that is the opener in Cincinnati. Don't miss the games, the snaps that matter. Mike, I saw you write 
today just about how it's going to be interesting because if you've got over half of players vaccinated as the Washington Post reported across the league, that means half of them aren't or close to half of them aren't. And that can create an interesting situation in the locker room too. But, you know, it's a microcosm of society, as Ben said. What, what were your thoughts just in terms of what you heard this week about the team and the vaccinations? Yeah, the most interesting thing, interesting thing to me and what I wrote about a little bit um, was just how this has the potential, I feel like, to maybe divide a locker room to a certain degree because you aren't just, you know, you aren't just encouraging people to do to get the vaccine as a matter of public health or their own, you know, their own, you know, well-being. You're basically saying if you don't get the vaccine, you're a bad teammate kind of. And that's kind of how you're framing it to a certain degree. And so I think that's creating a certain amount of pressure. Um, I, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily undue pressure. It's maybe like a bad reason to make a good choice. Um, but it's still, um, it, I think it has the potential to, to cause some friction if there's going to be some, some people who, who, aren't, uh, who, aren't wanting to, who aren't wanting to get the vaccine. Yeah, we don't know the exact number, um, but I do know before the Vikings started doing their clinics and seminars where they're vaccinating players, they're bringing in people to vaccinate them on site, essentially. Um, it was pretty low when players showed up um, out of the 90 or 85 it would have been at the time for the start of the offseason program. But those numbers started to tick up as they started to do these seminars. Uh, the Vikings were not named because the Washington Post did a pretty good story about what teams have high rates, what teams have really low rates. Um, the Vikings weren't necessarily in one of those extreme groups of high or low but many of these teams are right smack dab in the middle of just having it split down the middle almost in terms of some of these vaccination rates. So pretty solid piece of reporting there from uh, their national NFL writer, Mark Maskey. Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of just understanding where the league is at. And there are some teams, I think I saw uh, Albert Breer report that uh, the dolphins and the saints have already reached like that 85% threshold, which is a number the league and the union have talked about is if you reach that, then we'll just relax the protocols for everybody. You can just go building wide, you know, even the 15% that aren't or whatever it might be can go ahead and take their masks off and just go about work as normal. Um, and again, it's in terms of the NFL, it's a story because they, they make you not play if you end up catching it or you are a close contact. All right, guys, let's answer some questions here um, that we got. Um, I do want to start with the one, I think it was from Scott that I'd referenced earlier in the podcast about how does this set up the team long-term in terms of you got all these one-year deals we mentioned, uh, uh, Sheldon Richardson, Patrick Peterson, um, who else? Help me out. Who else? Um, uh, Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr, effectively. Yeah, one-year deal. Harrison Smith has not gotten his contract extension at this point. Um, and he gets, Scott had said, with all the one-year deals, is it a bit of an illusion that will fade – that will fade in 2022, or is this roster set up for a proper new multi-year window? Um, what do you guys think? I don't think you look at this and say it's a new window. I mean, you have a lot of decisions coming after this year now, and it's really every level of the defense. I think you have decisions coming on Kirk Cousins in some ways. Uh, I think there's a decision looming on Adam Thielen. Um there are decisions looming on Garrett Bradbury. Uh, you know, Garrett Bradbury is not a free agent after this year, but Garrett Bradbury has a fifth-year option decision coming after this year. So there are a, a lot of these things. The decision on Dalvin Cook is not that far away, and Dalvin Cook is signed, but 
the decision on a running back is never that far away. So you have a lot of these guys that I think have decisions looming in the not too distant future. Even Dalvin Tomlinson is only signed for two years. So yes, I mean, this thing is, it, it feels to me like this is a team that knows it needs to win right now. And we will worry about the rest later because you look at it, Patrick P I mean, of the five guys that we expect are going to be in the starting secondary come September 12th, Harrison Smith, Xavier Woods, Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, and Bashad Breland, I think would probably be the five right now that if I'm betting on it, none of those guys are signed after this year. Anthony Barr is not signed. Um, Daniel Hunter is coming to a decision point. Uh, Sheldon Richardson is not signed. I mean, you go down the list. The, the, this defense is not contractually obligated to look the same in any way in 2022 as it does this year. So this it very much to me feels like let's do something so we're not in the same spot, either because we need to win or just because we don't trust what we have. And you always kind of need to win in the NFL. And we'll figure the rest out later. I think to me, more than anything, it doesn't signify like, the yeah, these guys are going to be here forever. It signifies a little bit of a different way of constructing their defense, though. I just don't feel like they've done a lot of these kind of one-year veteran deals in the past. Or if they have, they've been you know more you know, kind of guys on the edges, not like guys they're bringing in to really make an impact. Like the Patrick Peterson signings is very out of character for what they would normally yes. do. Um, so to me, I guess it, whether it's a, a one-year thing be out of necessity and out of, you know, trying to win now, or if it signals kind of a, Hey, we, you know, maybe we can't build our defense with these kind of six or seven core guys that we drafted anymore. Maybe we have to pivot to a different strategy where you've got three or four of those guys, but then you're kind of bringing in these one-year guys every year that are good and, you know, motivated to play well. So maybe 2022 becomes kind of like 2021 with just a different cast of characters if this goes well. Yeah, and I think I, – oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I was going to say, can we ask – can we do – I mean, we typically try to spread the questions around, but can we do this other one Scott had too? Scott yeah. has a couple good big-picture ones here. Yeah, he, go, for, go for it. He, he kind of follows up here and asks, given the all the investments made, everyone expects improvements. Are there any acceptable excuses that could be made if the season doesn't go well? Are we at the point where we can evaluate the roster construction in the QB and it's either good enough or it's not? I, I think this was an interesting corollary to the first question he asked. It, it fits pretty similarly, I guess, thematically with his first one. Boy, yeah, I, I think the, the construction would suggest to me that they feel like there's no more time left for excuses. Um, I don't know how you could make many after this point because – you could you could have I think said after last year, hey, it's this reboot of the defense. We are letting these guys develop. You've effectively given up on that, I think, at least in the secondary with what you did, because this does not look to me like you are guaranteeing that any of your draft picks from last year are going to start. Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, are either going to have to prove something or. And in Jeff Gladney's case, it goes beyond football, but they're not counting on any of those guys as, as I see it in the secondary and on the defensive line. I don't think they're necessarily having to count on anybody they drafted last year, either, whether it's DJ Wanham or James Lynch or, you know, just kind of some of the 
the reinforcements they've tried to put in the, in the defensive line. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what the excuse would be unless there's a number of injuries like they had last year. And yeah, I think they're at a point where at some point here, how many more times can you say, well, we, we just need to do this one thing and then we're going to have it all unlocked. I mean, they've tried different approaches. They've tried different pieces the, the constants have been Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, and Kirk Cousins. And I think at some point here, you're going to have an ownership group that says, okay, um, we've we've rearranged all the pieces except a few here. And and uh, and I, I'd say that not knowing exactly what the Wilts are thinking because we don't hear from the Wilts very much. But I think just common sense would set, suggest that they aren't that far away from that point. Yeah, and you got a front office that tried to answer or at least give off the perception of an answer of the biggest question at quarterback by drafting Kellen Mond, bringing him in in the third round, and then having that, whether real or not, interest in Justin Fields, and it didn't seem real depending on or going off of the Panthers' offer that they went real, in. Yes, but probably not all as, as it, not as enthusiastic as it's been portrayed in some places. Yeah, well, and yeah, it, you clearly weren't, if you weren't giving up a first future first rounder to move up, for uh, Justin Fields, how much did you really believe in him and want him as your uh, next quarterback? And then you got that $45 million of Kirk Cousins' cap hit, $35 million in salary hanging over their head next year, and that's locked in. There is nothing you can do about that. And the one trade partner, the one trade partner that you thought you were going to have in San Francisco has said, oh, we got our guy. We've already kind of moved on from that. So um, it, it's going to be an interesting setup, but this is definitely a front office that has made the moves of both trying to sell to an ownership of, Hey, we've got a long-term plan taking Kellen Mond, who again is just a third round quarterback. And those things don't really pan out all that much. And when you look at the history of mid round quarterbacks, they don't really pan out, but it was the second pick of that round. It was 66th overall. And so that's a situation where you have some expectations with this guy when you don't have a quarterback signed beyond 2022. And that is um, that sets up too with this year, where you've got the selling point of, hey, we've got a long-term plan at quarterback, but also we realize we can't go through another seven and nine, seven and ten season, miss the playoffs because things might get blown up. They might change some things in the front office or maybe even the coaching staff. You don't like and, our long-term plan? Can we interest you in our short-term? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't put all your eggs in the in one basket. And invest wisely in a medium uh, medium strategy and a long strategy, I guess. But <laughs> it, the, the interesting thing is that it's like a Charles Schwab right, commercial. A bad a bad year though kind of breaks the pattern, right? It's it's like the every other year has been good, and then you kind of you have the down year, and then you're like, okay, then then it, it gets better. They missed the playoffs this year. Then it's three out of four. And those three out of four are with Kirk Cousins. And then you're like, this ain't working. So this the is one you know, was the six seed. What's that? The one was as the six seed. <laughs> yeah, that was a good team, though. They were 10 and four at one point. So that was a good team. They won a playoff game. But yeah, it's, it's not like that year was 13 and three. That was uh, that was not it. All right, Ben, before we let before we let you go, before we break the podcast, Joel wants to know, can Brett Favre make a reappearance for this show? He wants to know, are the pieces in place for this team to make a run? Uh, you know, I mean, the, the pieces are in place. If uh, you have a quarterback, do we have a quarterback? Maybe. I mean, if they if they need a quarterback to put pieces to be in place, I know I can play. Who do I want to play? Maybe. Who are you down there in uh, Hattiesburg with? I'm um, down there with uh, with Bonita, Indiana, <laughs> just uh, hunting, fishing, doing all the things that we do. But uh, <laughs> if I need to play, I know I could play. I just don't know if I want to play. 
<laughs> well, I'm playing. Maybe. Maybe that'll be the quarterback of the future <laughs> for the Minnesota Vikings. Who knows? Um, well, we got we got one more. I want to get to this question here too. Joel also asks: It seems like with cap space still available, because the Vikings, as Ben reported, spread out some of Sheldon Richardson's all the gigantic number, being sarcastic, three point six million. They spread that out to continue to keep some of the cap space for this year. Uh, Joel wants to know: It seems like with that. Is a Brian O'Neill extension very likely, or do they have something else up their sleeve as well in terms of bringing in another free agent or two? Um, what do you guys think? I think I think Ben's talked about it before. I think an O'Neill's extension is probably a slam dunk, but I'd also love to see a veteran guard. I think Danny DM'd a question about don't they have to sign a veteran guard? And that sure seems like that'd be a nice idea too. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, especially since we haven't exactly seen anything from Wyatt Davis yet. And I think there's some question about will he be making the jump in time? So, yeah, that would be a logical fit. Um, and, yeah, Brian O'Neill would be the other one to me. I, I think those would be the obvious ones to, to think about. Harrison Smith, too, but you could actually clear cap space with the way you do a Harrison Smith deal probably. Patrick Peterson on his podcast said, Larry Fitzgerald, if he's not retired yet, he's not retiring. Yeah, that's true. And if he's not going back to Arizona, where would it make more sense than to finish at home? Uh, being asked questions by his dad in press conferences and playing for the team that he grew up as a ball boy for. That'd work for me. He's pretty still pretty good. That'd work for me. You know, too, Minnesotans love one of us. We do. One of us. Like, everybody finishes their career here. That would just be a, a natural one. <laughs> I think he's like three months short. Well, I got to check when his birthday is because he may give me the momentary thrill of no longer being older than every player on the roster. <laughs> uh, either way, he was, he was phenomenal still getting like 70 targets in Arizona. Now he's playing opposite DeAndre Hopkins there at the end. But. Oh, Ben, what, what'd you say? He's, he's like younger, than younger than me. Uh, I'm, sorry, man. I'm sorry. Well, I'm you know, once come here, I'm good. Yeah. If Brett Favre comes back, you know, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would be, I, I would be good in that case, but does he want to come here? <laughs> maybe 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 you should get off the podcast <laughs>